told you recently I love you? And so do all our pastors. We, we just count it such a privilege to be serving with you and accomplishing the Lord's mission here in this central part of Canada. If you have your Bibles with you uh, or on your app, if you could open, please, to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to look at two passages, Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1. So you can put both those, both those uh, passages, have them ready. I remember the first time I witnessed a profound encounter with the power of God. I was a, uh, on a mission in England at a place called Lasham. It was a camp for young people. And uh, I was uh, only 25 years old. I'd only been saved five and a half years. And I remember being at this big tent meeting. And suddenly, in the middle of this meeting, there was a blood-curdling scream. Ah! You know, the kind that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up straight and everybody freezes. And there was a young lady, young teenage gal, who was on the floor, and she was rolling around on the floor, screaming and growling. She was oppressed by a demon. And I I had never seen this before. And I remember watching as a group of people around her were commanding in the name and authority of Jesus for this spirit to let her go. And then finally, there was peace, and she was totally calm. And I remember feeling fascinated and afraid and repulsed and attracted all at the same time. It was my first encounter with the supernatural power of God's kingdom clashing with the powers of darkness. And maybe that's why Jesus said to his disciples what he did before he ascended here in Luke chapter 24. Jesus has died. He's been raised from the dead. And he's appeared at least 10 times to his disciples over a period of 40 days. First of all, to several women and then to all his apostles. And finally, the Bible says, to over 500 people. And then as Jesus, just before he ascends on high, He says this in Luke chapter 24 in verse 44 to verse 50. Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And right here, We have the importance of the word of God. Jesus' last act on earth was to actually teach his disciples from the scriptures. That should tell us how important the word of God is for us. And also, scripture says here that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. We cannot understand the word of God or the ways of God or who God is without God's help. 
We need him. We need him this morning to open our understanding up, and we're going to ask him to do that in a minute. And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And here in verse 47, we have the Great Commission according to Luke. Last week, you heard the Great Commission according to Matthew. Were the rest of you here last week? (laughs) I wasn't, but I listened to it on the internet, and so I knew it was Matthew. And we also have the Great Commission in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. We have the Great Commission in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And here is Luke's version. And Luke says that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. You want to underline that word witness. We're going to come back to that. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power. You might want to underline that. We're going to come back to that. From on high. And then verse 50 says, Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Isn't that precious? The last thing Jesus does here on earth is to bless his disciples. I think that's so precious. Jesus wasn't thinking about getting back to his father and entering into heaven. He wasn't thinking about the cherubim and the seraphim and the four living creatures. He wasn't thinking about Psalm 24 where they were going to be shouting, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye ancient doors. The king of glory has come in. Jesus was thinking about us. He was thinking about his disciples. And he reaches out and he blesses them. Oh, how he loves us. He loves you so much. We have no idea. We just get a little taste of it. We, we, the last couple of weeks, we have a very special thing happen in our family. I have become a grandfather for the very first time. Now, I know many of you, I want to introduce you to Jack, Elias Whitley, just after he's a few hours old. Now, I know many of you are grandparents. You understand this, but this is our first time, and we were so excited. But I was not prepared for what happened. I got to the hospital just a few minutes after he was born because there were complications and I didn't even know if Jack was going to be there when I got there. It was that tricky, but he was, thankfully, and I walked in 
And there he is, this poor little guy, this tiny little bundle. He's just come into the world and everything's loud and noisy and bright. And he can't talk. He can't even see me. He can't do anything. And I felt such love for him. I was overwhelmed with these feelings of love for this little person who I didn't even know who hadn't done anything, said anything. And the Lord spoke to me and said, that's just a little fraction of how I feel about you. I love you so much. You don't have to do anything, say anything, be anything. I just love you for you. And Jesus lifts up his hands, and he blesses these disciples. Okay, let's go over to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read the same thing because Luke is, is written by Dr. Luke, and so is Acts. And so Luke is going to sum this up again and add a few things we're going to talk about this morning. In the first book, O Theophilus, this is Acts chapter 1, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. You might want to underline that word, wait. For the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And when they come together, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father's fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he blessed them and he was lifted up and they saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you are here this morning by your spirit. And we are asking that you will open our minds up to understand the things of the word of God. We pray that you will let us see what we don't see and hear. We ask, Lord, that you will open our feelings, our emotions, our wills. We we welcome you and we pray that you will accomplish your word in us and through us today. In your mighty name. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Wait Until You Receive Power. And the first thing that Jesus said to wait for was the seal from my 
Father, the promise, the seal of the promise from my Father. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, he says, And while staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, this word wait means to stick around. It means to stay or remain, but not passively. It means to stay or remain with expectancy. He said, wait for something. One of my favorite places is the arrivals at the airport. I love standing at the arrivals because everybody is waiting expectantly. And they're usually waiting for loved ones or friends. And you can see little kids there. We were just there last night. We were uh, not last night, a couple of nights ago. We got back from Romania with John and Doris and Jenny. And Jenny's kids were there. And you can see the children. They're all excited. They're waiting expectantly for something. And that's what Jesus is saying here when he says, wait for the promise of my father. Be expectant. And, and, and how did they wait? Verse 14 tells us they waited devoted to prayer. They weren't just waiting passively. They weren't just waiting expectantly doing nothing. They were waiting expectantly and praying. Verse 14 says of Acts chapter 1, they devoted themselves to prayer and they waited for 10 days. They were in a 10-day prayer meeting. And why did Jesus say to wait? Well, the first reason is God had a time and a timing for his spirit to be poured out. They were celebrating the feast of weeks to commemorate the harvest and the giving of the law in the Old Testament. And 50 days after the Passover, after they came out of Egypt, 50 days later, the law was given. It was poured down through Moses. And now we have 50 days after Jesus' suffering and death, we have the Spirit being poured out on the Feast of Harvest And we see from Acts chapter 2, the harvest was 3,000 souls. It's a beautiful picture of what's going on. And Jesus told them to wait because there was a preparation going on in the disciples' hearts. They were getting ready to receive this profound gift. The promise of the Father comes from Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. When God promises, it shall come afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So that was the promise of the Father, the pouring out of the spirit on all flesh. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, we have that beautiful, beautiful story where they're all in the upper room. What are they doing? What are they doing? They're praying. They're waiting expectantly and praying. And the Bible says suddenly, 
the Holy Spirit comes in like a mighty rushing wind and tongues were like fire were resting in each one of them and every one of them exploded into praise, into languages they'd never learned. God had fulfilled Joel too. He poured out his spirit. They were waiting for the spirit. The spirit was poured out and now we don't have to wait for the spirit. He's been poured out on all flesh, but we might have to wait on the Spirit. We might have to seek Him. Verse 5 goes on in Acts chapter 1 and says, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Can I take a minute and just remind us of who the Holy Spirit is? The very first mention of the Holy Spirit is at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 the very first verses of the Bible. And verse 2 says, And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God. This word spirit is the Hebrew word ruach. It means wind or breath. And the word God is the Hebrew word Elohim. It means the supreme, all-powerful God. The Spirit of God is the breath of the supreme, all-powerful God. And the Bible says here in verse 2 that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. This word hovering means sweeping, moving. The Holy Spirit is not static. He's always moving. He's always doing something. And he's doing something this morning. Verse 1 tells us the Spirit was with God before creation. He's with God in creating. And that the Spirit is the agent of God's activity in the darkness, bringing order out of disorder, form out of void, and beauty out of darkness. And Jesus said in John 16, the Spirit is still the agent of God's activity, convicting people of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then in verse 3 tells us the Spirit and the Word always go together. Verse 2 says the Spirit of God was moving. In verse 3, and God said. You have the Spirit and the Word of God. They always go together. Right in the beginning, we see the importance, the necessity, the foundation of the Spirit and the Word. They must Go together. That's why Jesus said in John 17 that the the spirit of truth and the word of truth in John 16. You know, some people are comfortable with the word and not the spirit. And some people are comfortable with the spirit and not the word, but you have to put them together. They belong together. Someone said, if we're all spirit, we blow up. If we're all word, we dry up. But together, the Spirit and the Word together, we grow up into maturity. The Bible in the New Testament tells us the Holy Spirit has a mind, a will, emotions. He feels. The Spirit can be grieved, lied to, quenched, extinguished, resisted, and blasphemed because The Holy Spirit is God. 
the third person of the Trinity, a person, not an it, not a force, not an experience. He is a person. And then Jesus goes on in verse 5 and verse 8, and he gives us three promises. He gives to his disciples and to us three promises regarding the Holy Spirit. The first one is, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This word baptized means to plunge under, to immerse, to be totally overwhelmed, enveloped. It comes from the garment industry. It's used to describe clothes that were dyed. So you take an old T-shirt or a frock or whatever, and you plunge it into the dye. You take a stick and you poke it under so it's totally immersed, surrounded, enveloped by the dye. And it actually takes on the characteristics of the dye. Jesus is saying, that's what it is to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus fully immerses us, overwhelms us, overcomes us, envelops us, saturates us with the person and power of the Holy Spirit, and we take on permanently his characteristics. That's called the fruit of the Spirit. You might ask, hey, well, pastor, don't we all have the Holy Spirit? If you're a follower of Christ, if you said yes to Jesus, if you've invited Jesus to come in and take control of your life, you have the Holy Spirit. You've been born again. But not every follower of Christ is baptized in the Holy Spirit. The difference is between a pilot light on a furnace or a gas fireplace and all the burners going on. If you've ever watched that on a fireplace or your, your furnace, you know there's a little blue light that's called the pilot light. And, and that's like receiving Christ. The Holy Spirit comes into your life, your pilot light's on. But when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, all those burners ignite and light up. That's what it is to be baptized in the Spirit. You might ask, is it a second experience? Does this happen at salvation? Well, it can happen at salvation like it did in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and his family. If you read that story, you'll remember Cornelius was a Gentile. They hadn't received the gospel and they definitely hadn't received the Holy Spirit. And Peter goes and reluctantly and he shares the gospel. And before he even gives the altar call, the Holy Spirit falls on this whole household of Cornelius and they all end up prophesying and speaking in other tongues. There was a supernatural manifestation and they were born again and filled with the Holy Spirit all at the same time. But it can also be a second experience like it was for my wife, Mary. Mary's mom was in the New Age movement, and uh, she had been trapped to that for 25 years, got fed up with it, disillusioned. She went to a gospel crusade one night. She heard the gospel for the first time. She was interested. She went back the second night. She heard it the second, and she gave her life to Christ, and her pilot light went on, and she came home born again. And the family rolled their eyes and thought, oh, mom's on another trick here, another 
cul-de-sac someplace. And she said to her daughters, girls, they were, they were 16 and, and 18. She said, girls, do you want some substance in your life? I want to bring you to Calgary. They were in Vancouver. I want to bring you to Calgary to hear this evangelist. And if you don't like what you hear the first night, you can go shopping for the rest of the week. They said, deal. So they flew to Calgary. The very first night, they were in the Jubilee Auditorium up in the second balcony. They heard the gospel for the first time. They heard about Jesus' death and resurrection and that he was alive and that he wanted to take over their life and and for for them to know him and come into relationship with him. And they both raced from the top of the balcony there down to the floor, weeping, confessing their sin and repenting and inviting Jesus to come into their life. And their pilot lights went on. They were born again. The next night, the preacher was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He preached about the baptism. They were in the balcony. They raced down at the end of the meeting. Mary was standing there near the stage. And before the preacher could even lay hands on her, she was overwhelmed in the power of the Spirit. She fell on the floor and she started speaking in a language she'd never learned before. It was a second experience. But the Bible tells us it can be a third experience and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, don't get drunk with wine. That's such a waste of time, but be filled. And that word be means being. Keep on being filled continuously with the Holy Spirit. And we see that in Acts 4. In Acts 4 or 2 verse 4, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then two chapters later in Acts 4 verse 8, it says Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up to preach. That means Peter was filled twice. And then just a few verses later in verse 31, it says, and when they had prayed, the whole building they were in was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again. Peter's been filled with the Spirit three times in two chapters and the rest of the disciples have been filled twice. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you have never been immersed, plunged under, enveloped by the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you have and you're empty. You know we all get empty, right? Maybe you don't. Maybe it's just pastors. We get empty because we leak. We leak through busyness. We leak through ministry. We leak through constantly pouring out. Sometimes we leak through neglect or sin or whatever, but but we all leak. That's why the Bible says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' first promise is you will be plunged under with the Holy Spirit. The second promise, he says, as we find in verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus promised there would be an empowerment. This word power is the Greek word dunamis, and it comes from the word meaning to have ability, to be able, to make 
possible. It's where we get our English word dynamite from. Explosive power. This power is a divine enabling. It's a supernatural anointing, a miraculous power, a God ability. And Jesus said, you would receive this. Now this word receive means to take. It means to lay hold of. It's not a passive. You know, some people say, well, if God wants to do that to me, he is totally sovereign. He can do that. That's probably not going to happen. Jesus said, you will receive power. That means you've got to take it. There, 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 there is a, you can't strive, you can't make it up, but you can receive it, you can take it, you can lay hold of it. And that's what Jesus is saying here. See, not to refuse or reject, but to embrace and grab hold of. Jesus promised a supernatural, miraculous power and all things are possible, power, God ability, but you got to receive it. You got to take hold of it. And how do you receive it? How do you take hold of this power? Jesus tells us in verse eight, he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This word come upon means to overtake. To overcome, literally, it means to take over. And we see this beautifully in the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. 14-year-old, probably, teenage girl, engaged to be married, her whole life set out for her. And she has an encounter with an angel. The angel comes to her and says, Behold! You will conceive and bear a son and you're to call his name Jesus for he'll save his people from their sin. And Mary's response was, she said, how the heck is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel says this in Luke 1 verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. And the child that will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then Mary made an amazing statement. Do you remember what she said? Not today, Lord. Let's try again next week. Let me think about it. Let me talk to Joseph about it. Hey, Joseph, how do you feel about this? Now, what did Mary do? Yeah, she said, Behold, be it done to me according to your word. (sighs) Something supernatural happened. Mary said, Yes, take me over. And that's what this word means, to come upon. It's it's letting the Holy Spirit take us over. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is always an issue of control. Who's going to control your life? Are you going to control it? Are you going to stay in the driver's seat? Or like Mary prophesied this morning, are you going to let Jesus take over and be the driver? Are you going to let him overtake you and not 
care what anybody thinks. I remember the first time this happened to me. I was a young man. Ruth will probably remember this, and so will the Sweatmans. I was a young man. By the way, if you have been distracted by this bruise under my eye and you've been tempted to figure out how it happened, I'll just put you at ease so you don't waste any more of this morning. My wife did not hit me in the middle of the night. I did not trip over and hit my face on the coffee table. I was mowing the lawn, and a pebble shot up from the lawnmower, went right under my glasses one inch further, and my eye would have probably been gone. I'm very grateful. But, young people, I wasn't wearing safety goggles. Big mistake. I wear safety goggles now. I put them on right after. (laughs) But it was too late. Anyway, I'm a young man, and we had a preacher come. His name was Wally Best, a lovely couple. Wally's gone to be with the Lord. But he was a beautiful man. He was from the Brethren Church, and he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Whoa, he was dangerous. And he would pray for anything that moved. And he called me the young man. He said, young man, have you been overtaken by the Holy Spirit? Have you gone down under the power of the Holy Spirit? I said, I don't think so. He said, well, after I preach on Sunday, I'm going to pray for you. And God is going to take you down in the power of the Spirit. I thought, I'm not sure I want that. (laughs) That sounded a bit dangerous to me. Anyhow, Wally preached. We were meeting in the Carlton Club on, on Fort Street back then. There were probably about 50 or 60 people in the congregation. And uh, after he finished pre- pre- preaching, he said, okay, I'm going to pray for your pastor now. So he got me up there in front of everybody. And he started, I closed my eyes. I thought, this is really embarrassing. <laughs> Anyhow, he started praying for me. And I didn't want to open my eyes, but this is what was happening. I'm thinking, what's he doing? Is he pushing me? I didn't want to open my eyes to look. I was too embarrassed to ask. And finally, I'm like this, very uncomfortable. And I'm having this battle inside. Is this God? Is this Wally? Is this the devil? What is this? And then the Lord spoke to me and said, if this is me, are you willing to let go and let me take over? I said, Lord, if this is really you, I surrender. Boom! I fell on the floor. The whole church went up. I could hear them. They went, oh! I thought, oh no, now I'm really embarrassed. I just wanted the floor to open up and make me disappear. But now I'm lying on the floor and I'm having the same battle. Is this God? Was this Wally? Lord, what are you doing? And again, the Lord spoke to me. Will you let me take you over? I said, Lord, if this is really you, yes. Immediately, 
It was like I was drenched in this love and this peace. I had never felt that before. I started to cry. Now I wanted everybody else to disappear. I wanted to just stay there the whole day. And I remember laying there and just enjoying the presence of the Lord. The Lord was doing something. It was like he was peeling the onions of my heart back and making me tender and soft. And I was experiencing him. Well, I couldn't stay there all day because we had a church picnic like we do today. (laughs) And we had to get to a Cinnaboyne port. Park. So eventually I got up, but partway through the picnic, I just wanted to be alone with the Lord. And I walked out into the field. I laid down in the grass and instantly that same presence of God fell on me and started to minister. I was crying. Jesus, I love you. I, I, and I thank you for your love. God was doing a wonderful, wonderful work in me, but it began with Letting the Holy Spirit come upon me. Who's going to be in control? And maybe there's someone here this morning and you've never given Jesus, you've never given the Holy Spirit that control of your life. You might have grown up in the church. You might have been baptized. But but the Holy Spirit wants to be the one who's in control. He wants you to let go and let him direct your life. He wants to come upon you. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you in a few minutes to come and let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. And this takeover, this empowerment, this this dunamis ability is always to purpose. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 4 when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. The empowering of the Holy Spirit is always to purpose. And that brings us to our last point. Jesus promised you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere. Verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This word witness is the Greek word martus. It's where we get our word martyr from. And martus simply means someone who gives testimony to what they've seen and what they've heard. And then later it became someone who was so convinced of what they saw and heard they actually gave their life for it and became a martyr. But it simply means testifying about what we've seen and heard. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is alive. How do you know Jesus Christ is alive? How many of you believe Jesus Christ is alive? Okay. We sang about it. We sang about it with great gusto. How do you know that? 
because it's a doctrine of the church? We're supposed to believe that? How do we know? How are we so absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ is alive and is who he says he is that we're willing to die for it? What? Yeah. And you know how he talks to you? This is beautiful. The Holy Spirit in you witnesses to you of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Acts 5 verse 32. The apostles were getting beat up and they were preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they said this. We are witnesses to these things. We actually saw Jesus hang on the death or on the cross and die. And we actually saw the empty tomb. But even if we never had, the Holy Spirit has witnessed to us that he is alive. I think that's really profound. I am convinced, you are convinced Jesus Christ is alive and is who he says he is because the Holy Spirit within us is constantly testifying. He's alive. He's alive. He is who he says he is. What is the purpose of being baptized in the Spirit and receiving the Spirit's power? It's to be witnesses to Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and that he's alive and he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's to fulfill the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus gave his disciples and you and I a task that's impossible. We are ill-equipped to do it. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, all 16,000 people groups. Impossible for us to do. Except, he said, you will be clothed with power from on high. That word clothed means to be enveloped. It means to sink into a garment. Come here, Norm. This probably won't sink into you very well, but I'm just going to throw it over you. To sink into a garment. It means to be outfitted. I've just outfitted Norm in a blue blazer. Thank you, Norm. It won't fit, but... And that's what Jesus did. He did that with the Holy Spirit. He outfitted us. The Holy Spirit is our all-in-one outfitter. Everything we need, all the gifts, all the power, all the anointing, he has given us to make disciples, to be his witness. Wherever we go, as Aaron said last week, as we go about our life, just witnessing about Jesus. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, immersed, all the burners gone on, I'm going to invite you, if you would like to do that this morning. If you've never received power by letting the Holy Spirit take you over and you would like to receive his power, I'm going to invite you to come forward. 
And if you feel ill-equipped, if you feel timid and embarrassed, paralyzed or unable to actually witness for Jesus or to witness about Jesus to other people, if you are paralyzed when it comes to making disciples and reproducing the life of Christ in other people, I'm going to invite you to come and be prayed for. And we're going to wait on the Lord to do what only he can do. That you might be filled with his Holy Spirit. Let's stand together.